myth, magic, medicine, and everything in between. Two doctors talking. Hello and welcome again to Myth, Magic, Medicine with me, Denise Villamahia. And today I have my friend all the way from Dublin, <laughs> Dr. Fiona Macken, who's joining us to talk to us about, well, what she does in medicine. Hi, Fiona. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's lovely to be here. Right before we did the intro there, I was asking you about your original training and how, um, from my days in the United Kingdom, a little bit different from Southern Ireland, but not terribly, um, it, was, it was still unusual for a woman to go to medical school. This is 20 years before your time. By the time you were going to school, it was more accepted, you think? Yeah, definitely. Our class was... 50-50. Mm -hmm. um, so in that class in Trinity, we, we graduated in 1997. So you're talking about from 1991 to 1997. And our class of 70 people, there were, you know, 35 women, 35. Oh, yeah. Men. That's a very small class, but very much half and half. But now the division for specialty training you'll probably have to explain most people that listen to this are american uh, not yeah. everybody we've got a few people around the world but yeah. the system is different here specialty training you you everybody does two foundation years so um when you finish uh, your training, as in 1997, you are qualified as a doctor. Mm -hmm. You spend a year then as what we call an intern. Um, okay. So I even think in the UK, that was a different name. That right. was a- That's a house officer, I think they're calling. But it, I think the, the, the difference between that and some of the Europeans, um, some of the European systems and a few others, I've interviewed some people from uh, other countries, um, yeah they incorporate the internship into medical school so that when you come out, you have the ability to be licensed and to put your shingle up and start seeing people in for general practice. That's not the case in, in Ireland. You come so, out and yeah. you have to take a year before you can get licensed to work independently. Yes. Okay. Um, and that year you're allowed prescribed medications, but only in a hospital setting and under the supervision of right. four senior um, doctors. Correct, that, that's basically the same thing here. You have to be in some sort of a residency program, which is our specialty training. Um, sometimes you can be, a, there's a more general rotating internship for a few. Those are usually done by people that are going to go into, I think, psychiatry, ophthalmology, to, to, you, you've got to be tracked to go in those, but you'll need to have some general medicine practice first. Um, now, what, when did you decide, because you're a general practitioner, right? Yes. Which is roughly equivalent to family practice here. It's not quite the same. Um, yeah. But what, um, what, what, what drew you to that? It, was it what you really wanted to do right up front? Or did you think uh, no. you might want something else and changed your mind when you saw what it was really like? <laughs> yes. So I, I was convinced the whole way through my training that I would want to do psychiatry. Oh, um, okay. And I, um, I, I met psychiatry as a junior doctor. They came in and they helped me whenever I'd have difficulty. When I did medicine for the elderly, the, the, if someone was in trouble, the psychiatry people came in. And it wasn't what I thought it was. They came and they fiddled about with drugs and they changed drugs but 
I, I thought that they'd be sort of taking a look at the whole person and, you know, this person's life and um, and it you, seemed to be more medication based. Right. And I think that's a complaint worldwide. But do you think that is a failure of the system or is it that are people trained not to see the whole person? If we had if we had an. an apologize for not knowing enough about southern ireland <laughs> but okay. the national health system you have a very similar system if if you are if you're in the national health system and it's strapped for money those nice things are likely to be the first things that go if they weren't strapped for money and i think we can only pray for that uh do you think it would be better from the point of view of what they're trained to do um I think so. And I think that's in two two regards. One is the amount of time that it takes to do yes. uh, the talk therapies and the, uh, the trauma work or any of the stuff that I actually have a huge interest in, both time and money. So it's much easier to spend less time, see more patients, and then just write a prescription. That that. Okay um for two reasons is sort of the way that that psychiatric medicine has gone do you know um mm -hmm. and, and medicine i think even in general practice yeah, well, and i think a lot of what i see is probably a much bigger picture stuff yeah i think a lot of us complain that that we spend most of our time putting out fires rather than preventing them from happening in the first place yes which segues nicely into after you were in general practice where did you take your career what did you decide you were going to do with it? So I I still work in general practice, but I have also gone and trained as a mindfulness medicine, uh, mindfulness based stress reduction teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, why why did I do that? So I have suffered from depression. My I, I've shared that with all of my patients, particularly any who have any mental health struggles themselves. So. I did a course as a student. Um, I had three children at the time. The youngest was a small baby. And during that eight weeks, I actually realized that I had spent most of my life in my head. And this was the first time that I realized that there was another place to be other than in my head. Mm -hmm. And when I found the relief that that gave me, I thought, I'd really like to be able to teach this to people. I'd like to be able to teach it and I'd like to know more about it because I'd actually really like to help people in a way that this has helped me. Is the system such that you can use that when you're in practice or does it have to be something that's outside of you? You can refer people to yourself, essentially. Yes, <laughs> yes. So mainly outside of the practice. Mm -hmm. um, but because of the work that I do, it's... I suppose I almost in, embody it now, you know, mm -hmm. that you come to see me as a GP and your blood pressure might be a little bit up and I actually get you to do a little bit of breathing while I do it again. Mm -hmm. Or you're, you, you, you seem very upset when you come in and we might do a little bit of breathing. So the patients know what to expect from me. Um, mm -hmm. And also it's, it's part of who I am now. That the, the you, mindfulness teacher is part of who I am, I suppose. Yeah. Are you restricted in, in uh, Ireland um, the amount of time 
here in the U.S., usually like seven minute increments for a routine visit. I mean, not for an annual, not for an annual visit. I mean, that's a much longer period of time. But still, you're restricted on how many points you can hit. I'm sorry, that's a new problem. You have to have a new appointment for that that problem. So, do you have similar? What's your average appointment yeah. time? For so longer. Um, okay. So the system in Ireland is such. Yes, we have free healthcare. Um, and they have a medical card, but we also have private health care. Now, we don't differentiate between the two time wise uh -huh. in the practice where I'm working. Um, but 15 minutes is what I have for an, for a routine appointment. So 15 minutes. Um, yeah, I can I can do a little bit of breathing in the 15 minutes. What, um, what, uh, what kind of breath work do you practice? So um, what I'm mainly using at the minute would be related to the polyvagal theory. So the, mm -hmm. the sort of seven in and 11 out, that one where we're getting that out breath to be longer than the in breath. Yeah. I trained um, in that probably 20 years ago, not called that then. It's called coherent breathing. They still have that program. So you start with five in, hold for four, breathe out for five. And then as you, and then you gradually lengthen the, the breathing out. Yeah. So Brilliant. Uh, as, as you get better at it. Yeah, and that was, well, we'll get into our personal yeah. medical histories, maybe with, with a little bit. I also suffered from depression. Um, okay. I, I'm not sure too many people on the planet don't have some degree of depression, obviously, colloquially, yes, but but actual clinical depression, I think many people do. Um, yeah. Certainly in the UK, in my generation, you didn't talk about it. They were likely to give you brewer's yeast to tell you to buck up because <laughs> That was yeah. one of those things, unless yeah. you were seriously, seriously ill. But but you could be very, very unhappy for a very long period of time and clearly need help, but not get it. Yeah, um, mostly because of that that stigma and the veneer of everything's just fine, thank you. Yeah, and, yeah. and so many people are depressed and just you can, nobody can see this as an audio, but I'm grinning. <laughs> that's, that's the way you behave. Right? Don't whine. Stop it. Stick yeah. up a lip. What I find interesting is it sounds like you're not as stigmatized in Ireland as we are in the US. Or is that just because you refuse to be stigmatized? <laughs> That's such an interesting question. I think I have decided to refuse to be stigmatized. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely still there. It's mm -hmm. not as if when I share that information with my colleagues that they all share it back mm -hmm. about their mental health. So it's there. No, there's definitely still stigma here. Definitely mm -hmm. still stigma here. Um, there's concern, I think, about admitting that you're depressed and what that might mean for your career. Does it threaten your license in this country, in the U.S., in some states, it can threaten your license? Because so, if you admit it. Yeah, it, you, you'd, you'd have to be, your work would have to be affected, but okay. it doesn't, otherwise, otherwise not. Um, okay. um, so, um, I... Yeah, I just I just feel it's really important to have it as part of the conversation so that the stigma goes because yeah. as i say to people all the time when they come into me if you had diabetes we wouldn't be having this conversation we 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 would be talking about your insulin and what you needed and we wouldn't be having this conversation about i wish i didn't have to go on medicine or i wish yeah. 
that this was different. You might still wish it was different, but we wouldn't oh, seem sure. to take it personal. Do you know, yes. it's, it's a personal. failing still. That's that's the problem. Life in general. The effect. <laughs> the effect of not feeling safe. Mm. Um, what the cause has on our mind and our bodies um, is, you know, I feel that COVID in itself had done it. Um, that COVID was a time where we didn't feel safe. The children didn't feel safe. The other adults didn't feel safe. Nobody felt safe because we had this enemy. We couldn't see the enemy and you could die at any moment. So that that's left its wounds that we yeah. might be aware of the wounds that that has left for people. But I think the polyvagal theory of stress explains that very well. Um, mm -hmm. So that's uh, interesting, but I definitely see it in work. People don't feel right is the kind of the way that people mm -hmm. are describing how they're feeling at the moment. They don't feel right. There's something not quite right. Um, well, it still isn't over. There's a new variant. I mean, I think that there's a certain amount of fatigue with the whole thing. Oh, COVID, that's so 2020. <laughs> but but you, you're seeing more people wearing masks again in the supermarkets because they're aware that there's another variant coming by and we don't know if we're going to be covered. Yeah. So it is very, very stressful. I mean, think of all the little ones that, that, that were born in late 2019, early 2020, and didn't see another non-family member for the first two years of their life. Yeah. It's just um, tremendous. Socializing children is really important part of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And for the for them as adults, then mm -hmm. um what what scars does that leave when it you you didn't feel safe, like you didn't see other humans and didn't have that normal interaction? Right. Um, I actually see quite a lot of yeah, I'm a hypnotist. Um mm -hmm. I see people. Um, my age and sort of around who may have recently lost a partner for one reason or another. Um, and because they had that isolation, you know, we get used to what you get used to. You assume that's what safety means. So even when safety and, and your comfort zone is not very comfortable, you don't, you want to stay just there. You don't want to go out. So I have older people who are, Sort of run out to the shop and run back home. They don't. They don't want to socialize. They they don't feel safe. They they want intellectually. They want to. Hence, they come to me. But they can't get over that. You know, it's it's a dangerous world out there. Yeah. And how? Um, so hypnosis probably is the, is one of the things I don't know a huge amount about. But it's very interesting. How how does hypnosis? Um, where where is that getting in to help with those feelings? You, when when you put somebody into trance, and everybody can go into trance. Now, not everybody, every time with every single hypnotist, because you have to trust them. Um, but when they're in trance, and their conscious mind is taking a nap, basically, it's there. It's not you're not asleep, but it allows the suggestions that are being made by a trusted voice to slip past that critical mind and become lodged in your subconscious, and it. So you, you add, usually you work more on adding positive things than trying to subtract negative. It's always easier to add a positive. Um, it, it basically, we believe that, that 
everything that's your unconscious bias, which would be the world is a dangerous place, or I hate broccoli, or, you know, people with brown eyes are weird, whatever, whatever your unconscious biases are, those slip in because somebody you trusted said a thing or responded in a particular way when you were experiencing whatever that is. And so that becomes part of your, your known, the, your default mechanism. And, and so hypnosis adds a new thought or can help you change the way you respond to a thought. So it's a bit of um, trigger and response. You give people a new response to go with the trigger. Yeah. Um, usually it's, I think somebody I've had recently, somebody who uh, hates public speaking or you know, has a panic attack just at the thought of having to, <laughs> having to speak in public. Very common, almost as frightening as death for most people. Um, you that you uh, when they start to get that feeling of um, of panic rising, you give them an anchor that has been um, linked to thoughts of safety, thoughts of comfort. So whilst they're under hypnosis and they're often la la la, so it's like being daydreaming really. Um, you're imagining a wonderful beach and the words are beautiful and the sun is shining on you. You associate, say, pinching your fingers together. You associate that feeling with that. And so when you do this, your brain says, oh, that's where I am. And it just takes it down a peck so that you can breathe. Breathing is very important, <laughs> as we know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did training in neuro-linguistic programs yes. as well. Yeah. So that's... Right. We did most right most hypnotists have it's they sort of sandwiched in there with hypnosis training it sort of grew out of although some nlp people will yell at me if i say that but it really grew out of a lot of erickson's work yes right um the conversational hypnosis where you don't formally go into a trance but that so it's that yeah words are incredibly powerful <laughs> incredibly powerful um and even that piece so I, I I went to a conference in 2018 and it was in integrative medicine and it was in London didn't have anything like that in Ireland at the time although I think that's changing and there was a doctor there who uh, worked as a GP and he did hypnotherapy Mm -hmm. And there was another guy there who did general practice and NLP. Mm -hmm. um, and I always remember, which is the reason then I kind of thought, well, I'll do a bit of that. Him talking about if you're giving an injection to somebody for their rheumatoid arthritis, that you would tell them that it might hurt a little bit, but that actually in the majority of patients, they do really well from this injection, that the evidence you're, so you're not telling them an, an untruth, right. but you're deciding which information to give them first and which to give them last right. and how powerful that is. Right. And the only right. thing a, a hypnotist would say, we never use the word pain, which isn't completely true, because you, if they've used the word pain, you have to honor how they experience the, the event. But um, we've all had children here, you and I. <laughs> Yes. If you yes. suggest to a woman that it's going to be absolutely miserable giving birth and it's going to be so painful, you are not doing them any good service. It's also to say it's all going to be just wonderful. You're going to be skipping around having a great time. This is also not true. It may well be uncomfortable, but we can make it as comfortable as possible. And it's a wonderful thing that you're going to be doing and we're going to be helping you. 
and there'll be somebody with you all the time and take a deep breath. <laughs> all of those things. Do you have uh, much in the way of um, doula practice there? Do you have doulas? Uh, it's increasing. Mm -hmm. um, so of course the midwifery is also uh, stronger, I think, in the UK. The more traditional oh. midwife. Yes. Oh, very much. Mm -hmm. So we would have um, a program for home births that would be midwife led. Um, and the the midwives would be would be very strong here mm -hmm. in Ireland, very much. So I, I know the Rotunda Hospital, which is one of the maternity hospitals, would be uh, quite famous for being the place where they kind of started to track labours mm -hmm. and dilation versus time and that sort of stuff mm -hmm. so um but the midwives themselves would be very much um that they they would be the bosses uh you know mm -hmm. that they're, they're, they're very uh yeah very strong yeah um, but if you need an obstetrician and you need a cesarean they will allow you to see one <laughs> absolutely oh yeah no yes. the obstetrician is 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 there um, and the obstetrician is the person who makes the final decision, um, most definitely. Um, but the midwives are working, beavering away as well, you know. So, yeah, there definitely seem to be a, um, a balance of power. Um, yeah, I like balance. balance yeah, a balance. <laughs> and um, if, if people probably are familiar with uh, Call the Midwife. That's, yes. I was born during that era. I was born in 1954, yeah. so it was all new and exciting. Uh, but, but I grew up assuming that I could go to the doctor if I needed to go to the doctor. And I didn't realize money entered into it at all when I was a kid. Uh, it was quite a rude awakening to practice medicine here. Uh, but if you watch Call of the Midwife, which is how that little segue started, um, you'll see GPs being involved in birth. And here, family practitioners not all, but most, are certainly trained to do routine deliveries. Do you yourself do routine deliveries? No. Is, it, is that by choice or just it's separated out now? The, um, the yeah, no, it's very much separated out. So even... But you're qualified. I saw your alphabet soup. Oh, yes. Yeah. And <laughs> obstetrics. Yeah. Um, the BAO is, is obstetrics. All right. Yes. Yeah, so... In Ireland, definitely the GP did have a bigger role, mm -hmm. um, but as the years have gone by, and I suppose probably because of um, uh, the legal end of it, yeah. um, it was encouraged that we wouldn't take that role on, um, and um, rather than that we would take that role on. So the I I wouldn't know of any uh, GP who who's involved in in. Are you involved in prenatal care and postnatal care? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the antenatal visits, you've a choice of coming to see me or to see the uh, doctor and the midwife in the hospital or. A bit of both. So most people pick a bit of both. Uh, and then your two-week check would be with us and the six-week check would be with us. Um, so, yeah, a, a, a bit of both. Yeah, And GP, all, all, all well baby checks are with you too. You take care of children unless they have a particular problem that you then refer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there, there would also be uh, public health nurses who would do the developmental checks. So there would be developmental checks done during those first two years. Um, and if they're concerned, they might speak to me. But 
I'd be sending on to a pediatrician. Okay, just just quick check because terminology does tend to differ between countries. Yes. Public health nurses, are those nurses who are trained in public health or nurses who are employed by the public health system? So nurses employed by the public health system. Okay. They don't have yeah. masters in public health. It's a different, okay. Okay, yeah. yeah. But these would be nurses that are involved in the community. They would uh, look after um, developmental checks. There would also be dressings. Um, they, I would ask them for help if I felt that we needed to get a care package in uh, to someone at home. They would be my first point of call because they know who is involved in 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 the care packages or looking after people at home. Um, so they have a really really busy important job and are overworked. Um, and I I would probably underpaid. Um, as well as yeah. lots of people are, um, but um, yeah, they they they're so busy. But yeah, that they they do a lot of that work. So a bit of everything, really. They're seeing all ages too. Well, and they go into the home, so they'll see everybody in the family. That's that's the integrated fit you need. There's no point in dealing with one person and their problem if they're connected to all these other people. Yeah, yeah, that's everything very... all the time, everywhere, whatever that movie's called. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's go back. Let's yes. go back. You got interested in depression and mental health in general and destigmatizing it. You got interested in, you realized that psychiatry wasn't going to enable you to affect people's health the way you wanted it to. So you chose to be a generalist. What aspects of mental health are, do you feel you can look after for the patient obviously if you find somebody is schizophrenic you're going to refer them but what of what what level of care are you comfortable with at the gp level um so that's a really interesting question because at the moment the public psychiatric services so the psychiatric services that are available for free in this country very hard to access mm -hmm. unless you're extremely unwell um, and actually at the moment I'm finding the private services are really difficult to access because the waiting lists are so long. Um, mm -hmm. so I'm actually doing my best with probably cases that I would maybe 10 years ago have, have not been happy to look mm -hmm. after because I would have felt they were above and beyond my remit. But now, um, I I sort of feel I've I've I yes I understand the medication and I'm I'm not afraid of using an antipsychotic as well as a depression tablet or I'm not afraid of the medicine so I'm happy to to give things a go with people um and then also sort of to sort of take a step back and think of what what's the big picture here particularly because I know I nearly always know the family It'd be very rare yes. that I don't know the family of yes. whoever. Gen this generally is. speaking, it's the whole family comes to the same doctor. It's not dad goes over here, mum goes over here. It's yeah. 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 And that's not required, I should point out. People aren't aren't told you will go to this doctor unless it's the only doctor in town. <laughs> but yes. but it's, Americans are more likely to be split up. Not always. It does do, again, it will depend on geography to a degree. 
and yes. the healthcare insurance they have here. That tells you a lot of things. Okay. That's one of the things I really miss about national health because yeah. here, if you change your doctor, because you, your doctor may stop taking one particular kind of insurance. So you got to go find another doctor or you're it, just it's fragmented care. Always. It is very, very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I the surgery I've been in now, I've been there for 15 years. So it's not my practice. I work as an employee of the person there, who runs There we go with another, that she means her doctor's office. That's what they call them, the surgery. No, <laughs> I call it the surgery. Did I? You did, you did. That's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we call it the surgery. It's so funny. Yeah, it is. We go because back in the day used to do it there too in the office. <laughs> I was put yeah. on the kitchen table. Never mind that. Yeah. My mum had her tonsils out on the kitchen table a long time ago in the Isle of Wight in the 30s. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Old school. For 15 years. So I know uh, I know the people 15 years and I know I know the hard things that have happened to them in their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, I know the women who lost a baby uh, at birth I know um the men who lost their job whenever and then had to find something else I know like those stories um are kind of murmuring around in the back of my mind always whenever I see them with a, a problem but and they they're not always relevant but but they color what's happening they, yeah. they always do it makes a difference to me seeing that person as a as a as a human being who's lived a life um with ups and downs as we all do i mean there isn't anybody i say it to everybody everybody that sits in that chair with me including me will have had their ups and their downs in life that that's that's life how we navigate that together is uh as humans you know so yeah but it does it does definitely make a it makes my job hugely enjoyable yeah like i i i, I look forward to seeing the people you know it's like oh hello, it's such, a, it's such, such a pleasure to hear a doctor saying he's they're excited about their job yes <laughs> they enjoy what they do because yeah. i mean I, I think most of us want to and yeah. i've been retired for a long time but the the younger uh, members of my community I think they're just so tired. Yeah. Now, do you think this is true of the, the people in working in the hospital outside of the general practice? Do you think the specialists likewise feel that? Because they don't have that same connection. They see people for specific things. And some of those things can go on for many years, but it, they don't have that connection to the entire family. Unless they've got phenomenal memories. Yeah. Do you, do you see them being more burned out? No, I'd see it's it's definitely equal across both general practice and um, the hospital medicine mm. feeling of being tired, the feeling of being asked to do too much, the feeling of um, the feeling of this is all just overwhelming is definitely in both sections. Mm -hmm. I think I'm really lucky that because I've done all these other trainings. I can use these trainings to help myself on a daily basis. Okay. Um, looking, remembering what I read before we started this, your bio, you said you're teaching. Now you're teaching your patients. 
Do you teach junior doctors? Do you have people rotating through your office? So how, do you, how do you think we could propagate this idea that it's integrative medicine that we need to be practicing? Yeah. Um, so really just telling as many people as possible, do you know? Mm -hmm. um, so one of the, so uh, Wayne Dyer, the uh, famous mm -hmm. American gentleman who wrote lots of um, lovely books. I read a thing that he had written about how when he put his two feet on the ground every morning, he would be thinking about what the day ahead he was going to have and how it was going to be a great day or whatever. He was setting mm -hmm. an intention. Um, and when I go into work, if I, I say to the girls at the front desk, we're going to have a great day today. And if I don't say it, the girls will be like, Fiona, you didn't say it. You didn't say it. <laughs> What's hey. going to happen, Fiona? <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, those sorts of things from all the other bits and pieces that there's so much interesting thought and interesting ideas out there about things that help us. Mm -hmm. Um and if we could spread those ideas, that would be um, that would be great, you know. Um, and they're doing research now into intention setting and yes. how intention setting changes that your neurons will start looking for ways to make whatever you've set your intention on happen, you know. So um, I, I do feel when it comes to our colleagues, we need the science to-, to, to Oh, absolutely, of, absolutely. You know, so um, so to find that, that science and where's the research being done. And so you can say, okay, this is a nice thing that I do. I put my feet on the floor and I say, today's gonna be a good day, but then to be able to say, but actually they are doing research into this and yes. they are finding that, that, that this works. So to have some, balance between uh, the nice things that we might do that might actually help us feel better and then the research that's that's there yeah. uh, into it anecdotal evidence can only go so far <laughs> yes yes and me telling them the story that it makes me feel good really isn't going to be enough uh, and i understand that <laughs> yeah uh, anyway Thank you very much. Before we go, I would love for you, please, to tell us a little bit about your website and how people can contact you if they want more information. I am assuming you would be generous and allow American doctors to contact you and absolutely. ask you about, about what yeah. you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, I, I actually teach online every every Monday and Tuesday evening. Um, Which will be but, afternoon or beyond back yes, here, of course, there's yeah, time difference. <laughs> exactly. But we're setting it up so that that those classes can be uh, they're they're going to be recorded so that people can watch Great. them in their own time. Um, and there's themes to each month. And it's not just mindfulness. The, there's a bit of NLP in there. There'll be visualization, anything that I learn. I will stick into those classes. So we're sort of building up a community of people that we're all sort of learning together about how to feel well. Is it and, is it for the general public? Is it specific to doctors? It's general public. General if, public. if anybody who's breathing on the planet and can get on the internet is welcome to join you. Okay. Very much. Um, <laughs> and it's called Wellness Your Way. Um, and the your is a you or uh okay. your I, I'll, I'll write you, I'll, it'll be in the show notes people will be able to find it <laughs> but that's great thank you so much it was so nice of you who joined me today and i thank look forward to talking to you again soon
Bye-bye. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us at Myth Magic Medicine. If you have found this episode useful, you can apply for free CME credit through the link provided in the transcript. If you're not a medical professional, please remember, while we're physicians, we're not your physicians. So please consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you have heard might apply to you or a loved one. Until next time, bye-bye.